the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, it's kind of a historic day, thanks to this podcast. Um, Mark Stepneski <laughs> used an exclamation point. Kind of historic. Sean, you're underselling it already. Uh, where, where would you put this? Uh, what level would the, of historic well, relevance would you put you this? Know, I'm, not, I'm not quite willing to put it up to uh, birth of my kids, but it's got to be close. Um, you know, uh, man walking on the moon, um, stars moving to Dallas, Mark Stepneski uses exclamation point to defend Whataburger, of all things, and adamantly so. So, you know what? For years he said on Twitter that he would never use it, and people have tried and failed, but I'm feeling a sense of, of victory and, and satisfaction over the fact that we were able to coax it out of him. I feel like the last time Mark used an exclamation point was when a man walked on the moon. He, Twitter wasn't around, but that's when Mark... Would he have? I think he would have. I submit he would not. I, would have, I, I think he would have found a way to undersell that and say, mm, call me the next time you, you go to a planet or something. You know, The moon's great, but... Maybe you know. Jupiter. Yeah. Jupiter or Mars, that would be exclamation point inducing. We've been there already. We're at the moon now, so let's move on, right? That's fair. Owen is uh, Owen Newkirk is joining me as the uh, guest co-host on the podcast this week. We will uh, Owen, thanks for thanks for coming on. And uh, I'm going to kill your format, I'm sure, aren't I? <laughs> of course. Trashing the introduction. It's fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Um, I think I will try to not host. I've been hosting for a while now with the Dallas Stars, so I'm going to try not to. But I do have to say, Sean, and this is uh, maybe even more historic than Mark Stepneski's exclamation point, is the choice of location for today's podcast is outstanding. Oh, it's brilliant. It's uh, about 85 degrees right now. and Yep, light breeze. Light breeze. You might hear that on the mic every now and then. We're in the shade. It's, it's, it's a beautiful day outside. It is mid-October, and we're in hockey season. And for people that aren't from or that are from the Dallas, Texas area, this isn't a big deal. This is fall. Well, 85 degrees is a summer day in the Northeast and most places around hockey traditional markets. So while everybody starts to shiver and think about whether they put on a light jacket or a parka, we get to bask in what is really a gorgeous day in the middle of the first month of hockey season. It's, it's really beautiful, and you, we are outside. You could probably heard that truck that just drove by, actually. <laughs> Great timing. They're going to deliver some windows. Perfect timing. Um, <laughs> See if it's our house or not. I don't think it's our house. Last, last podcast I recorded um, when Ryan was... Uh, Ryan has not been put on waivers or anything like that. Ryan is just... Ooh. He's been uh, just busy with grad school, and so that's why uh, Owen has gracefully uh, stepped in to, to help uh, keep this in a make this a better format than me just talking to a microphone by myself for You're 45 minutes. You're saying Ryan minutes. shouldn't feel nervous to keep his job. Well, we'll see as, how you do. As a podcast co-host. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how you do. Okay, all right. Well, I guess the, the bar's been set high then. So, to Ryan, you're, you haven't been replaced yet. I know you're. I know you're listening, and I know the weather's much colder up in Ohio where you are. So, that whole last segment about the weather was for people like Ryan. Exactly. Right. Stars last night uh, dropped to one and three. Uh, they were they lose four to one in Nashville. Game that 
game that where you take a look at what the team did. They started strong. Second period, second, third period, things kind of fell apart. Um, just that like Blue Jay <laughs> was angry about the second period last night. I don't know if they could hear it, but I'm sure they did. Things fell apart in the second and third period. They dropped to one and three. Um, question I wanted to start with today, Owen, is somebody that, and somebody asked me this question on Twitter last night, and I think it's a fair question because at this point last season, I went and checked. The Stars were, after four games, they were actually two one and one last season after four games. This season, they're one and three. Mm-hmm. Why is this team different at this point than the team last season? Well, I think that there's cautious optimism. Maybe the caution has come in. There was a lot of optimism in training camp and in the offseason because of the moves that they made, and we've documented those, so I won't go into all the details, but they've addressed a lot of the problem issues, at least in theory. Now you have to, I mean, that was some of the, one of the things that we all sort of cautioned was, hey, they've had a great offseason, they've signed players in all the positions or traded for or made acquisitions to address those, but they're, it's only good on paper right now. They have to go out and execute, and the players know that. So... The cautious optimism from our our standpoint is that this seems like a team that once it puts it all together is going to be a force, and a lot of the national media that covers the NHL sees that, and even the local media as well. But um, while there may seem to be uh, a bit of trepidation from many because of a one and three start, the fact that there is a lot of room for growth is exciting. Whereas Last year, 2-1-1 one one was, people were still sort of feeding off the high of the second round playoff exit, but there was there were a lot of questions about, let's go into goaltending, for example. We had the same tandem, Antiniemi, Kari Lettinen, starting last season that the team did the year before. And the, the line from the team was, they won 50 games, 25 apiece, they got to the second round. Sure, there were some ups and downs, and both goalies had runs where they played well and times when they didn't. And, um, you know, there were instances where people were ready to crown either Niemi or Kari as the bona fide starter. He's taken over the job. No, he's taken. And it kind of changed periodically throughout the year. Well, I think we've already seen Ben Bishop show that he is clearly not only the number one goalie for the Stars, but that he is a improvement in a very short window. We've seen what he can do. And I, uh, I, you know, yes, Bishop was hurt in the opener. If he had stayed in, you can't say definitively the Stars would have won that hockey game, but I think that if he stayed in the game and wasn't hurt, they had a pretty good chance to win. And, and, the, and the Bishop impact, and I think it's something where not only is you can talk about the improvements, stopping the puck, and but the thing that he brings in that I've noticed about Ben Bishop this season is they're a more confident, composed team in front of Ben Bishop. The defense is, there are stretches where it's it's less scrambly, and, and it, there are still some scrambly moments, but Bishop does a good job of closing those moments down. He does a very good job of holding the puck, very good job of knowing when to kill a play, and he does a very good job of holding rebounds. Mm-hmm. And that's something that this defense in general is now... They seem more confident. And, yes, there's, there, there have been mistakes here and there. But overall, you take a look at the minutes that, that they've played in front of Ben Bishop and the minutes they've played in front of Kari Lettinen, and they look like a different team in front of either goalie. It's, it's startling how quickly that's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and you can see it. And you saw it again in Nashville where the team, you know, just watching them go out and play that first period, you could see. Now, 
you mentioned rebounds. I think that's a big deal. Uh, on the power play penalty kill, okay? So when the opposition is on the power play, the Stars are killing. We saw that with the Martin Hansel five-minute major that they successfully killed off, and not just killed off, but gave up no quality scoring chances, and I think only two shots on goal. Yes, only two. A really fantastic penalty kill was that last year the Stars starting goalies many times made the first save on a penalty kill, but couldn't control the rebound, and the Stars defensively struggled with dealing with the puck on those rebounds, and they ended up in the back of the net a lot. Thus, a lot of power play goals against, and a, and a uh, nearly historic poor penalty kill rating for worst, the team. Uh, worst penalty kill since the 93-94 Ottawa Right, Senators. I mean, not the worst ever, but it's been a very long worst time. One in, so, worst one in more than 20 years. Right, so that is a historically low. Uh, yet Mark, Mark Stepneski didn't put an exclamation point on that until we had a Whataburger versus In-N-Out discussion. Uh, more on that later. But, um, but no, it, honestly, like you can see that rebound control that helps the defense. Mark Mathot being in the group helps the defense. The forwards being more structurally sound and detail-oriented. Rick Wilson's a big part of that on the penalty kill, the Stars assistant coach that deals with the defense and the penalty kill a lot. Um, but so far, I've been very encouraged with Dallas's penalty kill. Yes, they gave up a power play goal and uh, a pretty crucial one in the second period. Um, and yes, they gave up one the other night, but I think that they look a lot better already. And that's, look, they're one and three. If you said nothing else other than Ben Bishop and the penalty kill improved, wouldn't you be more encouraged than last year's team? Oh, of course. And I think the other interesting thing, just with the penalty kill, penalty kills improved, and yes, they've led up to three power play goals this season. The amount of penalties they've taken, if you're talking about areas for concern, the amount of penalties they've taken is something that, and that's in league-wide, that's an issue. Penalties are on the rise this year. It's... The, uh, they're calling way more way more slashing calls. There's been instances where um, there's been a couple times where they've made mistakes, where there've been the stars' mistakes. Sometimes where you could argue the refs um, have, have called some questionable things. But the number of penalties, um, the number of goals allowed. Like I went through and looked through it last year. They had actually allowed four power play goals, allowed four power play goals through the first four games last year. This year they've allowed three through the first four games. This year. They're giving up. They're spending an average of around 10, 11 minutes in the box a night right mm -hmm. now. And that obviously has to go down. Last year they were doing that, and the other team was only getting around two or three chances a game. And the other teams basically every third power play, the other team was scoring. Now when the teams are scoring on those power play goals, you're looking at it where it's, it's the four on three the other day. It's after they've already killed a five-minute major. It's already, right. And it's, it's the thing where... It's the bend. It's they, they've bent and bent and bent and didn't break. But after you have teamed so many opportunities, eventually it's going to happen. So penalties come down, that penalty kill looks even better. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cause for optimism in that regard. The, the, the one thing, and I'm trying not to sound like I'm getting into the, the, the homer care category, but I was a little disappointed with the disparity in penalty minutes in the game against Nashville because I don't think the Stars were particularly undisciplined. I know the Hansel one, and maybe we can talk about that as a more specific play in a minute, but um, was a cause for debate. But other than that, it really didn't seem like the Stars should have had a 2-1 to one penalty minute advantage. You take the 5 minute away, it's still 9-7. That sounds close, but it, it didn't feel that way. It felt like the power play chances were 
two to one, twice as many. Beca and because they were, frankly, even though the Hansel one counts as one, it's five minutes. So I don't know. There were a couple instances as the game wore on, and m maybe you feel that way more when you see the energy of a team like you know coming drawing from their home fans in Nashville and there are very few buildings that have anything like that kind of an atmosphere but um, just getting the sense that you know maybe like in years past the last couple seasons under Lindy Ruff the Stars played a very high paced frenetic attack and forecheck and because of their speed it, they drew a lot of penalties yet the Stars didn't have a lot of nights where they had you know a, a large advantage or majority of power play opportunities and Lindy Ruff complained multiple times that he felt like referees were always looking to even things up mm -hmm. now from a, a referee standpoint I don't want them to try to just even things up no, unless no, they make they, a bad call if, and they if, feel if like they have even, to if they're trying to even things up they're they're not doing their job right they need to call what they see period whether it leads to a 10 to 1 power play chances because one team can't keep discipline or if it's even, or they don't call any. But even, even so, last night with just, and I'm one who typically tries to ignore the, ignore the referees in general. And, and if you can ignore the referees, they've done a great job. That yes. means that. Um, but last night in particular, and it, it wouldn't have. Antoine Roussel scores into the empty net. It's two two. It's not an issue. But you look at the, uh, the goal, the turnover, Alexander Radulov's turnover that led yep. to the Nashville Nashville's third goal, I believe. Um, Looked like maybe there's a hold miss there. You had another play uh, in that period in that period where there's an interference call uh, against Nashville that was missed, and it wasn't nearly as forceful or as impactful as the Hansel hit on Weber, but it's still similar, similar right. mold, similar mold. Where if that play, if the Hansel play in theory is an interference penalty, that's there's another that the uh, there should have been interference called on Nashville later in that game as well. In a similar situation, it wasn't head contact or anything like that, but interference the, is a big deal because. Yeah. We've seen already there's been a major crackdown this season on slashing. And I think in, with good measure because when you're behind a player, if you have a poor position and you reach out and hit him with the stick, if it's on the hands, on the stick, on the hip, that's not really playing the puck. You're reaching and trying to whack a guy with the stick. And that's been accepted for a very long time. But this isn't college lacrosse where defending with a the six-foot defender's long pole is hit a guy in the elbow and the shoulder pad as many times as you can to try to disrupt it. That's not allowed in, in hockey like that, and it shouldn't be. But what I, we are seeing is that the amount of overall penalties hasn't changed in spite of the fact that the, uh, the early numbers, again, it's only been a week and a half of the hockey season, but the early numbers suggest that, well, slashing minors have gone up dramatically, the rest have kind of dropped off maybe in lieu of that. Now, some of it could be, well, you didn't. You called the initial slash, so there's no retaliatory penalty. But I think interference, and that's why I brought it up, was you mentioned interference. I think that's that's been slacking for a while, and we saw several times from both teams that a player carries in and dumps the puck behind the, a defender with the idea that he's going to skate around him and get in on the forecheck using his speed, and the defender giving that player after the puck's left his stick a little bit of a. Arm shiver, hand or, check, yeah. a bump. It's the kind of thing in football they, the, the defensive backs are allowed within the first five yards, and yes. then they have to let them go. Well, that's not allowed in hockey, yet they allow it all the time. In Back before the recent uh, change of rules in the lockout from 0405, when they made major changes to obstruction, the defender was expected to basically throw a pick on the four-checker, so allow his partner time to go get the puck and clear it out. Thankfully, they got rid of that, 
And as they talk about a speed game, don't you think that interference and obstruction should be completely – if they want to really crack down, they should be on that too because that helps quell the speed and possible odd man rushes that create scoring chances, which is what makes games exciting. Not goals, although we like goals, but scoring chances. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you could take a look at the uh, perfect example for that. The Stars' first game against Vegas, that's a 2-1 to game. But if you sat and watched that game, there's no way you don't tell me it's exciting. Right. The scoring chances, um, Stars had a ton of scoring chances. Vegas had some good counterattacks. That was game was an exciting 2-1 right. hockey you game. Right, you don't want block shots and slog fest that leads to a, you know, you could have a 3-2, 4-3 game, but those were the only quality chances, and the rest of the night were you know, played in between the, the blue lines and there just wasn't much available. To me, I've one of the most exciting games I ever called play-by-play for was actually uh, back when Brian Elliott was playing in the AHL, then with the Ottawa Senator system. He was in Binghamton, and I was with uh, the Albany River Rats, and Michael Layton was our goalie. And we played a 0-0 game that went to a shootout. And... It was, but there were 80 shots on goal combined between the two teams. It was up and down. There were chances at both ends and huge saves. And for a game without any goals in open play, it was riveting. Now, I can get off on a tangent and talk to you about how that game should have ended it in a tie and neither goaltender who both got credit for shutouts should have actually lost because of the shootout. But aside from that, the point is, is that scoring chances are what make hockey exciting or want a big part of it yes you want more scoring because we like goals but the excitement of a potential goal is really what we covet not shots blocked pucks grinded in the corner those are all important things and you want your team but to those, do that defensively. Those, but those are things that coaches look at to win games those aren't reasons you watch tv of course those aren't the reasons you turn on the game um it's i mean the interference they, they've it seems uh, you're right they it seems like they've slacked on interference calls, and it, it's interesting with the slash thing. It's it's like any, it's like any any facet of life where if you get told to fix something, you tend to over adjust on anyway. Right. You, we're going from an age of slashing where, really, you might have only had a slash call in the past if you broke a guy's stick. Now, if you just tap a guy, you may be getting a slash call now. Um, and on top of that, there's also the referees are putting so much focus into fixing faceoffs because they were broken. <laughs> Or allegedly broken. Right. And, and I know people are complaining about that. Some saying we didn't know it was a problem until they suddenly addressed it. But I don't think that's going to be a long-term issue. I think after an adjustment period, maybe it's already starting. But uh, linesmen, we've, I mean, watch this. This is my 15th year in professional hockey. I've watched linesmen almost, I, I can't even count on one. I don't even need all the fingers on one hand to tell you the delay of game face-off penalties I've seen. Because linesmen, I don't think, and I, I'm not trying to accuse them of anything, but I don't think they had the gall to call that, to kick a guy. I mean, we, we, we watch in the past linesmen throw a centerman out all the time for mm-hmm. various reasons. I don't, I don't think I could remember three instances in those 15 years where I saw the linesman kick out the second center. If he might do the exact same play, face off infraction, what will he do? Just back him up and drop the puck again. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's encouraging the cheating, so to speak. And I, I think that well, everyone and, and everyone cheated. It was it was everyone cheated on. Right. It. There was I mean. But to, to turn and they said we don't want it to be a lacrosse scrum, which is basically where they line up and and it's like watching a mini rugby scrum. Yeah. Two guys just basically basically they're butting, they're butting heads, butting heads over and, the ball. Right. And 
I watching the Nashville game just because it's the most recent in memory. I watched Martin Hansel use his stick to tie up an opposition center and then pull, pull the puck back cleanly with the kind of artistry that has made him one of the more coveted face-off aficionados in the game. He's learning very quickly, and that's okay. It, you have to change your style a little bit, but ultimately the best face-off guys are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Martin Hansel, let's actually – let's. Ooh, nice segue. Well, nice segue. Let's uh, let's <laughs> stick with him on the stick with him and talking interference and Martin Hansel. What did you think of the hit on uh, on Yannick Weber? <sighs> it's it's funny watching that because it's kind of knee jerk when you f- see a player get hit hard. Now we are being trained and and sort of crafted to to go ooh, uh oh. You know when you watch a player get sprawled out, whether it's in hockey or football now because of concussions because of CTE, because of player safety, there's an immediate reaction to that. Um, You don't see a lot of those big hits anymore. It used to be that way, and I don't want to detract from those issues because concussions are a big thing and they need to be dealt with in CTE as well. I still like big hits. Who doesn't like to see that? Uh, But they have to be be safe. Um, Something that we've talked about for size disparities, they're always a big deal. Jamie Alexiak, 6'7", had to play well below the physical nature that a lot of fans are urging him to play for because at six foot seven, especially playing in juniors, you're oh, playing against even, guys a foot shorter and than And even you. in the AHL we saw he yes. would get penalties playing for the Texas Stars for simply being six foot seven. Right, and and just knocking a guy over who weighs a hundred pounds less than him. Well probably not that, but maybe. I mean he's two sixty, so yeah, there he, might he be could. a guy at one sixty out there. But but again the I bring that up to mention Especially that, in junior. Right. I mean, Martin Hansel is a giant among very big players now. The Stars have the highest average weight to open the well, season of any team in the NHL, and he's six foot six. And a perfect example of how big Martin Hansel is. This was something that uh, Mike Heike pointed out mm-hmm. to me yesterday. Martin Hansel uh, and Raddick Fox are talking, are talking after practice the other day. Raddick Fox is on skates. Martin Hansel's in flip flops, and Martin Hansel is towering over Radic Foxa. And Fox is six foot three and, and, and about two hundred and twenty pounds. And you don't realize that. And Radic Foxa is a big human being. Big, big guy. And so, and, and Martin Hansel makes him look tiny. It's crazy. So Hansel's a big guy. Uh, I, I, I want to tread lightly here because you don't want to see a player get hit in the head mm-hmm. or in the face or anything like that. That being said, uh, Weber put himself in a prone position because he was being back checked, lost control of the puck, reached for it. And it's hard to... I mean, here's the thing. I don't think there was any maliciousness into it. Mm-hmm. I don't think Hansel was trying to hit him in the head. I think he was trying to finish his check in the open ice and defend his blue line. Watching a slow-mo replay where you don't see the whole play come together, it looks like he targeted him close to the head. I, I don't have a problem with it being a penalty. But at the same time, I'm not sure there was much in it to penalize because I thought that he was just trying to, that it, it just it ha- happened. I, I like, what I, here's the, the weird thing. I didn't like five-minute major, but I'm really glad he wasn't ejected from the game because nowadays, most of the time when their major penalty is called, it automatically kicks a player out, and I don't think you need to have that. No, and, and I mean, there's a couple optics of that that I think look bad when you watch it right away, but you're not, like, I think a lot of people who, who were asking, there was some people... There were some people calling on Twitter and things like that for it to be him to be in a game misconduct and him to be tossed. And, and a lot mostly of, Predators fans. Yes, but and, but to be fair, all right. every Stars fan would probably say it was a clean hit too. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, I mean that was 
that was what I actually tweeted something about that yeah. just to basically saying nobody's happy on this play. Stars fans didn't think it was a penalty, especially not a major, and Predators fans can't believe Hansel wasn't ejected. Yeah. And but I think one of the optics of it that is when you watch when you watch the replay of that hit, it looks like he throws his elbow. He hit his elbow, but that's it looks like he throws his elbow, and that's something where I think I saw people on Twitter talking about, hey, well, the, the not only this is definitely a malicious hit. He hits the head and he throws the elbow. Well, the elbow only comes through and makes contact with Weber because of the height difference, and where and where Weber's put his body. That's that's right. it's a, it's a shoulder to sh- it's a sh- it's a full shoulder hit, and it's not elbow is not the main point of contact. That's just basically motion body through follow. That's that's an optic that I wanted to address because I think some people think like, oh, well, he threw an elbow then. It There's the difference enough. between the elbow that we saw Matthew Kachuk throw on Drew Doughty, mm-hmm. and then, of course, that was last year, and yet yeah. this year it's already started again. The other night when Yager <laughs> debuted against L.A. in Los Angeles, there was some angst, and I, I'm excited to see their next game because I don't think they like each other very or the, much. Uh, or the old, or the, the move that before they started cracking down on more, when Ty Domi would basically come into a corner... With his <laughs> That's right, with his elbow up. <laughs> with, with his elbow up like a... Uh... Some sort of battering ram? Yes. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's it, it's a tricky it's a tricky decision because Weber was injured on the play, mm-hmm. and typically we react to injuries. If he got drilled, got up, and skated to the bench for his next shift, I don't think people would be as upset. Now, understandably, there's a big difference between, uh, you know, knocking a guy over... And I said this last year when Johnny Oduya was clean, cold-cocked from behind, blindside hit to the head by Joel Edmondson of the St. Louis Blues. Edmondson came out of the penalty box and absolutely drilled Oduya after the puck but, left. But Oduya got up right away. And Oduya, That's my point. Yeah, yeah. It crossed off all the major check marks for a, a big-time suspension, except that Johnny Oduya didn't miss any time. And to me, that was the wrong decision because... Well, injuries are an important factor in a play, it shouldn't pull anything away from that because I thought that was a dirty hit that you shouldn't see in the game. And we were just fortunate that Ojeda wasn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, in this instance, I don't think this was a dirty hit, but unfortunately, Weber was still hurt on the play. And I, I was in that camp. I'm in the camp where I don't think it should have been a major. I'm, I was, I would have been fine with a two-minute minor for interference. Right. Um, Here's the line, though. If you see him lose the puck. Granted, you're, it's a very quick thing, but if you see the puck come away, do you at least have to start to pull up and, and try not to make the full contact hit through like Hansel did? Last year, Cody Eakin, big hit on the goaltender, if you remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the big discussion point there? He didn't pull up. He well, Cody drove Eakin, through Cody the Eakin hit. Was, was, uh, was given a five-minute major for charging. Right. Which is slightly different because Eakin... Charging is an element where... Wait, the, this was the, interference yeah, yeah, because so. he hit the player without yeah. the puck. But again, my point is is that if you even tried to show that you want to get out of the way of that hit, mm-hmm. it changes the the, hit, the circumstances dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so, well, we can talk and agree on a lot of it of Hansel being a lot taller than Weber and... That being said, he is six foot six, and he knows that that happens sometimes. And so players have to be cognizant of they might I might draw this penalty even if I haven't done anything because of the, my height. So I have to be vigilant to see if the puck goes away. I can't mm-hmm. plow this guy through. If Weber still had possession of the puck and that happens, no, yeah. then you then you really argue the penalty at all. 
And, and Weber had just lost the puck right when it happened. Right. It was maybe a second or two. Um, so, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what your final verdict was in a lot of people, but I look at it, it's a penalty, but is it char- Is it a five and a major? No, in my opinion. No. Is it is it a suspendable offense? No, but it's, I still looked at it. I was fine with it being a penalty. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to the courtroom and argue yeah, yeah. Fi- that maybe. I mean, what, what would you say? Well, it should have been a four-minute double minor. I mean, it was clear. He hit him. The puck was away. The, it was a penalty. Okay, it. I, I was. I was actually glad it wasn't. An, he wasn't mm-hmm. ejected from the game. But, I mean, you could. How much do you want to, to risk on that argument? I, I, yeah. If they were, if they suspend him, I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. We'll go that far. But I. I, I a penalty. Okay, I'm all right with that. Yeah. And. The, the, the last note on that, too, is you just take a look. The one thing just to keep in mind for Hansel, and this, is, this doesn't have anything to do with that hit, just something to keep in mind for, as we see what happens with suspension and what, whether the NHL reviews it or not. Just food for thought for anyone listening. And this, if you're, you may be listening after after decision comes out, so keep that in mind. And by but, the way, the Blue Jay was so disgusted, he flew off. <laughs> he yelled for a while, but yeah. he had enough of us. Yes. Um, Hansel does have uh, – there's – He's been suspended three times in his career. I looked it up this morning, so he does have a history as a repeat offender. And I'm not—I'm I'm looking at this hit in a vacuum, but just something for, as food for thought as you look at how the NHL figures. And things that's out. tough too, because once you become a offender, when I mean, when you have more than one, you're a repeat offender. But even with the first time, the second time an incident happens, you get deemed a repeat def- mm-hmm. offender. So it's tough. I mean. Maybe you get suspended for something and say, hey, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. But once you get tarnished like that, you have to be even more careful. Because the next time around, they're going to look at you less favorably because you have a knock on your rap sheet. I think a perfect example of that is another guy who's no longer here. You talked about Cody Eakin. Mm -hmm. Cody Eakin, the hit on Lundquist was just the second major of his career. Right, and And that's my point. And and so now, it was just the second major of his career. He wasn't a player that ever, he had no history of, of instances like that, and then now, and then, but now any future incident, it's in his file as exactly. a, as a offender. Um, speaking of players, transitions are great, by the way. All right. Speaking, speaking of players that I'll, were t- the, I'll give you all the credit for that. that. That were on the team last year, no longer on the team. Um, since I recorded the last podcast with Ryan, Stars have lost two players to waivers. There was a, there was a drone flying by. Yeah, um, they're. Uh, Intrusive and obnoxious in a, in a neighborhood, I would say. Oh, yeah. Probably looking for uh, somebody's roof, but... Probably. Or maybe just wanting to catch uh, us in action on the podcast recording. Maybe. Yeah, we got distracted by a shiny <laughs> metallic machine flying over heads of our roofs. Yeah. Anyway, ra- waivers. Waivers. Two players that are... Um, Adam Crackton will be claimed by the New York Rangers mm-hmm. on Monday afternoon. Uh, Patrick Nemeth was claimed right before uh, by the Colorado Avalanche on... Uh, Tuesday before opening night, as the Stars made their ro- finalized their roster, I made this point um, to a couple people, and I actually asked Cracknell about this in general. Right when he was claimed, this was a scenario where, and as as a fan, I know there's people who were you get upset if you lose a player. You talk about losing an asset for nothing, and we can talk about that in a minute. But just that's maybe separate to that, the point that, that you're but about but to the make. The point I'm about to make is that we saw a perfect example where waivers worked, and uh, waivers. Waivers are in place so a player 
if a player can be if a player is an NHL level player, they can stay in the NHL, and it's not based on one team to make that decision. Right. Basically, when you put a guy on waivers, all of the other thirty teams now, since there's thirty one teams in the league, all thirty one teams get to make be part of that decision of okay, well, this guy is an NHL level quality player or not. And we saw a perfect example of it worked because Patrick Nemeth, if not for waivers, he'd be playing in the AHL to Texas Stars. That's right. Same thing with Adam Cracknell. Mm-hmm. Instead, Patrick Nemeth is actually playing top four minutes of the Colorado, Av- Colorado Avalanche. We'll see him tomorrow night, actually, and doing quite well. Right. Um, while Adam Cracknell has a chance with another NHL team, and he actually is playing in NHL lineups as opposed to being sent down to the AHL. Well, and not just that, but could be, for lack of a better term, buried in yes. a minor league team. Because if both of those players go down, there's no guarantees they get a chance to go up this year. And mm-hmm. so they would, uh, well, they're on one-way contracts and get paid their NHL salaries. Players don't want to just get paid. They want to play. And so Cracknell, look, I, I, I could argue both players, we, we like them. They have, mm-hmm. I thought they were good character guys. Um, with Cracknell, with the speed element that Ken Hitchcock wants to introduce mm-hmm. with the team or to, or to make better because of the league, he might not have gotten another shot with the Dallas Stars, period. Even if he was sent down and then well, somebody got injured. It's, it's how I look at it right now, and I feel, because I like him as a human being, I feel I do bad too. for Curtis McKenzie. Because I look at I, I, sure. look, I look at Curtis McKenzie got sent down. Right. And He's a player that could very well not get another chance this year to play in the NHL. Now, he cleared waivers, so every team had an opportunity. Yeah. And it also is about timing, because at certain times during the year, if a team is in need, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to, to get claimed than it is when teams have to be doing roster cuts and, and, themselves. And, and like I, be, I believe if you had switched McKenzie and Cracknell when they were wa- when they were waived, McKenzie would have been claimed. Either you think way, that the I, Rangers would have claimed I, I, him? Either way, the Rangers were in a situation where they had uh, they had Scheidel, the young kid who was playing at 18. They decided mm-hmm. he was they didn't want him playing a fourth line role. They yep. sent him to the AHL and basically they were they were they addressed 11 forwards I mean, right. 11, 11 and 7 the night before. So I think I actually believe that. You if, think timing was I think was timing was key for for. You know, we asked this, um, we were, you know, the last couple of years we've had this debate, Sean, you and I have yeah. been a part of this a lot, of uh, how the Stars have been managing their defense and mm-hmm. developing their young guys. It was Patrick Nemeth, Jamie Alexiak, it's Stephen Johns, Essa Lindell as well, um, to a lesser extent, but that he came in more last year, was how are you developing these players while also fielding your top six and mm-hmm. dealing with waivers and waiver exemptions. And one of the arguments, uh, we, I sat down and, asked Jason Spezza this, I think it was two years ago, mm-hmm. would it be good for teams to be able to have sort of a, a wild card, you know, where they could say, hey, this guy is no longer waiver exempt, but for the sake of development, let's give them one more year or designate one more player to be exempt for a little longer mm-hmm. so they can play. Because after Patrick Nemeth's wrist injury, where he got cut by the skate of R.J. Umberger, then of the Philadelphia Flyers, and missed most of that season, he struggled a bit when he came back and then really needed to play mm-hmm. he didn't make he and Alexiak both weren't playing because the group that included Yerky Yoki Paka were winning games this was two seasons ago where the stars got off to a rip-roaring start and for the first 40 games they didn't see the ice very much it would have been good for both Alexiak and Nemeth to be playing in the AHL remember Stephen Johns was mm-hmm. because he could at the time yeah. go through waivers and you can you can you can send a player to the AHL for a conditioning stint but there's right, but that's only the, for two it's, weeks it's a limited time and if for those first yeah. 40 games they were yeah. playing it would have been better for them to then come back up at least be in game shape now Spezza said no that wouldn't be good because you allow teams to bury a player and this this current system of waivers 
really gives the player a chance to have 31 teams or 30 other teams say no before they get sent to the minors. Mm-hmm. And as much as it, it hurts on a personal level to lose a guy that you like or that you put a lot of development in, in the case of Nemeth, it's very good for the player. Mm-hmm. No, and, it, and it's good for the player. And, and we can now, I mean, and you look at both those moves and you look at the asset management for it. Um, I know there's a lot of, there was, the, the first reaction to both is, how do you, how does Jim Neal let you lose player for free? Mm-hmm. Well, first, the first process is Patrick Nemeth didn't really have that much of a trade market. That's the other thing that you you, you look at, at the, the moment. At the moment, he's right. played well. There he, were there were rumors that there were some asks about him uh, a year ago mm-hmm. or two years ago. Sorry, when the stars were ending up picking up Chris Russell, mm-hmm. and there were talks of of making a trade at the deadline for Dan Hamhuse, and. There were discussions that maybe Willie Desjardins, who had him in the AHL, was then coach of the Vancouver Canucks, wanted Nemeth as part of a deal that would send Hamus to Dallas at the time. Of course, they didn't make yes. the trade, and then eventually Hamus signed as a free agent with the Stars last season. But at the moment, you're right. He hadn't played much. He hadn't was played there much, much of a, and there, and there was of no, a and there was no, trade value? And there, was, and there was no way the Stars could go. There's no way Jim Nill could go promise to every other team. There's no way he could go and say... Look, Patrick Nemeth is going to come in and play your play the first four games with you, be on your top pairing, right. have three assists, and uh, he's going to and he's going to play 18, 19 minutes a night. If there was no proof that that would happen, so that's kind of to kind of address what is this drone looking at? <laughs> I think he's checking us out. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, I didn't think that I was against uh, personal drones, but the more and more they start popping up in your residential area, I am. I'm, I'm becoming the get off my lawn, or in this case, get out of my uh, personal Air. airspace, because it just interrupts the flow of a delightfully morning podcast, or uh, if you're walking your dogs, what have you. Uh, it's just, it's it's annoying. It's like an angry nest of bees floating around, except for, it's just, I don't know. It's, like don't, it's ho- almost rude. It's hovering like 30 feet above your driveway. All right. Yeah, it's right near me. All right. Well, I, I can hide behind a pillar of our front porch, but yeah. still, yeah. Anywho, um, <laughs> we could fashion something to try to take him out. We I mean, could. we have to get some sort of Game of Thrones style uh, crossbow slingshot, and I don't know. I don't know you, if I. You've got enough potted it, plants we could fire at. It's it, a like. windy day, and it's higher up than we think it is. So as yeah. we've been completely derailed by this, let's not let it ruin our morning. Oh, let's not. Um, so good for Patrick Nemeth. <laughs> Well, we're going to see him tomorrow night, yep. and some people are probably listening. It'll be Saturday already, yep. but um, he's been good for them. He's been steady, solid. Uh, Colorado's played well early. It's a long season, but mm-hmm. um, he's been been really good. And then, then the, uh, to me, that leads a question of, over the last couple of years, the Stars have brought in veteran defensemen, uh, Johnny Oduya, Dan Hamuse. They traded for Chris Russell. Uh, they, they traded for Jason Demers. Remember, they mm-hmm. sent Brendan Dillon away in, in that. Part of it was they didn't have enough right-sided defensemen and felt that was a need. How do you balance development with win now? And if the organization says, you know, we are very much in the salary cap area pushing development, but we want to win now, we may lose some players now and then doing that, whether you like it or not, I'm okay with that explanation mm-hmm. because they show that that's their choice. That's what they're going for, right? Hey, we're... 
you may not like that we're having eight defensemen, but we're trying to win now. Mm-hmm. These guys might not develop as well as they could if they played every night, but we are going to win now. As long as you get the results, you can't complain about that. Yeah. But on the flip side, if you don't get the results, if you can, and it's easy in hindsight, right? Look back at last season. They didn't make the playoffs. Nemeth, Alexiak, Johns could have been playing in the lineup every single night and gotten the experience, and it would have been, oh, well, you didn't miss the playoffs, but we really made a step with the defense. But that's not a full rebuild, and that's not what the Stars are trying to do. It is, it's a tough juggling act. It's something where it's, you, go back to, you go back to asset management, and losing Nemeth on waivers now is not a mistake made now. Basically, carrying eight defensemen and not making, making a decision two years ago is is my is my is how I look at it as a mistake. Where mm-hmm. they basically by not making a decision on you said it's I know I know Jim Nill likes to say you can never have too many defensemen. He's used that quote quite a few and times. If if you look at the forward injuries last year, you're, he's absolutely right. You get a couple D and all of a sudden and that's, you're, and that's, you're hard up against and it. And that's fair. But the concept of even going into this training camp for me was with just with nine NHL bodies. Well, and ask ask Vegas right now and George McPhee if you have can you have too many defensemen if it costs you your do. top center. I mean, they have a top. They may the Vegas may lose a top center back to the KHL. I don't think Shipashev will. That will happen know, with him because of his he has a contract. He can't go to play in yeah. the KHL. But do you really want the guy that you signed a thirty year old free agent from Russia disgruntled because he's not playing in the first two weeks of the season? He didn't get to play in their ga- first game ever or the home opener, and he's not maybe a fourth-line guy. He could be your top-line center. He probably will be their top-line center once so he gets in. So it's not like this. I mean, look, the Vegas Golden Knights are ba- balancing their asset management like we talked about, but they've and won. And they're 3-0. and <laughs> But he can't be happy about no, this. No. That And it, to me, that's – I mean, that's – Maybe a false equivalency because I don't know if Shipachev is Tyler Sagan, but Tyler Sagan is your your top line center. Can you imagine if the Stars had him? Again, it's not quite equivalent, but didn't just have just him in the Jason lineup. Just type, well, let's just uh, say if you didn't have Sagan age. in the lineup yeah. because you said, well, we've got to hang on to another defenseman. Now, of course, Sagan's not waiver exempt, so it doesn't quite equate yeah. and line up. But still, that's the what but, they're dealing but, with, and you yeah. go. How could you possibly not have your shiny new toy in the lineup because you're trying to hang on to a a, a bunch of defensemen that maybe go through waivers without being claimed? Yeah. And you and I think you talk about timing of things and everything like that. Um, you also wonder would Nemeth have Nemeth was claimed was obviously claimed now. Would he have been claimed if you if you sent him through waivers at some point last year? I don't know. He might have. He might not have been depending on how things. You just look at it, how they've handled things over the past three years, and it's just, I've talked about it before, it's just frustrating to see that in a position you're going to carry eight, then you come into this year with nine into training right. camp. It's one of those things where, yes, you can have as many as you want. That's fine. That's, you can, you can, you, but you need to be smarter, at least in my opinion, just about how you handle things so all of those assets can actually be can be well, ready if, if needed. That's a critique of, of the general manager yes. and the staff yes. is, did he, in efforts to try to hang on to his assets as long as he wanted to, miss an opportunity to gain something from one of those and then eventually lost one for nothing, which is what happened. Nemeth was claimed off waivers, and they didn't get anything for a guy they drafted and developed and dealt with some it's, very freak injuries, in his case, not from his own doing, just because he played hard and had some I mean, bad luck. It but. might be the cliche with Nemeth where you look at where you – it's sometimes it's better to trade a guy 
a year earlier than a year to then to lose a guy for nothing two years later. And what and and again, I'm not saying that this is the right or wrong decision because they they have to make decisions yes. at times. But down the road, we may see was Nemeth the guy to let go, or was somebody else in the same veil, Johns, Alexiak. We don't know as the Hughes even uh, is you know a UFA at the end of this year. Is he going to end up being the one you say? Well, I'm glad we we let him go because these guys really blossomed into what we're looking for, or not? And of course, it's easier to look back in hindsight and make that that claim. But that's something that they will be the uh, Jim Neal will be graded upon. Mm-hmm. Is how did he handle those prospects becoming NHL defensemen? And did he pick the right ones? And on top of that, and the other thing about this too is you've got all of these guys, and you talk and general manager, and because I'm going to use a quote from Jim Neal directly right now, where Jim Neal has said his job is to worry about the team being as good as they can be today, tomorrow, and in a year from now. Yes. Um, and five years from and now. And five years from now. He's got a lot of good young defensemen in the prospect pool that have high potential. He's got a uh, Miro Heiskanen. Well, who, do you think Heiskanen's uh, draft acquisition, for lack of a better term, changed what the Stars felt about the left side of their defense. I mean, he could very well get, win a roster spot next year. If he does, he has to play. He yes. can't be the seven. He has to be one of your top three. I think in an ideal world, unless he absolutely dazzles us, which is possible, he's your third-pairing left-sided defenseman to start next year. Similar to the way I like where Julius Honka is right now because he's your third-pair right he plays a controlled number of minutes, gets a little bit of power play time, and as he learns, he'll get more responsibility and eventually work his way up the pecking order. I think, uh, in, disappointingly, because of the circumstances last year, Essa Lindell should have been in that role last year. He mm-hmm. was thrust into a much bigger role because of some deficiencies on the blue line. But is this is something I ask you and everybody yeah. thinking about. Is having Miro Haskinen available possibly next year more comfortable for Jim Neal to say, okay, we'll let Patrick Nemeth go. No, completely. No, complete, because we know next year with Mark Mathot under contract, with Essa Lindell playing well and clearly in your top four, and either Alexiak or Haskinen available, that's a, a gluttony of left-sided defensemen that they can let one walk away. Well, and, and Haskinen, the, I look at... He's a guy who I look at where you could see one of two things with him next year. I mean, I, you could see a number of things, yep. but I, I see one of two things potentially playing out. One, where he actually makes the team right out of camp. Two, possible. Po- which is possible. The other thing, which I think might even be more likely, is you take a look at, and I remember watching John Klingberg play about a dozen games in the AHL. And he played about a dozen games in the AHL, and they decided, you know what? He's ready. And then they brought him up. Um, I wonder if we could see something like that with Heishkin in, um next year where he comes in and he starts the season in the AHL. Now, granted, he could come in and he could be 19, he could be completely overwhelmed and need a full season. Right. But just there's... And and look, Klingberg, when he made his big breakthrough, played 12 games in, in the AHL with Texas before coming to the Dallas yes. Stars. And he said he absolutely needed it because coming off his hip surgery, he wasn't ready at the start of the year out, out of camp. He didn't have a great camp, didn't feel great, went down and absolutely torched the mm-hmm. AHL, and then he came up and, and made the impressions that he made. And, Boy, doesn't not to, to completely derail your your line of thought here, but doesn't have. Klingberg look better this year than he did most of the start of the last season at least. Oh, Klingberg's looked much better this year. I mean, he's had 
A, I think there's a huge boost of confidence between him and Essa, Lind- uh, Essa Lindell now. <laughs> do you want to do a whole segment on that? I, I don't. I was, I, was, I, was about to, I was about to say it incorrectly again. Well, um, for fans that don't know the inner workings of the Owen and Sean relationship, uh, or not to use the third person, my and Sean's relationship, uh, we have a writer-broadcaster battle all the time of pronunciation of names. As a broadcaster, it's a very specific. You just said you didn't want to get into this, and here I go diving in. But for broadcasters like myself, I take it very personally. It's a detail of getting players' names correctly pronounced is a big deal, and I really think it's a serious thing. If anything else, we can at least say a player's name correctly. Uh, As a writer, and I'm not necessarily speaking for Sean, but I am, He's writing it down, so you don't have to worry about pronunciation. You just have to make sure you spell it correctly. Well, I also don't. I don't have to worry about. Uh, I don't have nearly as many speaking uh, mo- uh, moments as you do on public uh, airways. So, the uh, so while I've been saying Lindell correctly in my conversations, I have not had. I have not uh, had the chance to make a mistake of saying Lindell again. That's or right. Or have to worry about making well, that mistake. Well, we, we spent a whole year telling our brains not to say Lindell, and now we're saying Lindell again. So it'll take a little bit for some more than others to get that out of your head, mostly because we made a conscious effort to change. Now we have to make a conscious effort to change back. Yes. But besides pronunciation. Besides pronunciations, um, Klingberg's looked better this year because there's so much more confidence, I think, between him and Lindell. They, they have a full year under their belt. I think we often forget Lindell was a first-year player last mm-hmm. year. Um, so, and, it's, and they're playing big minutes. They're able to get allow their confidence to grow. And, and, and on the power play in particular, Klingberg just seems to have taken things to another level on the power play this yep. year, from my view at least. And or it, maybe back to the year two years ago. Yes. But just he he looks better. We've talked to him. I asked him the other day about this, and he said that he wants to be an impact player that makes big plays and makes a difference. But he said he can't try to try too hard and force it. Has to take what comes to him and what's given and play within that. And we saw last year he was trying to force himself into being that dynamic player every time he stepped on the ice. And sometimes when it wasn't there, he forced himself into a bad spot. But I also think that having Essa Lindell playing like he is I mean there's last year there were some question marks of, of is he the guy to play with John Klingberg every night and he had five different defensive partners Klingberg yeah. did but on the flip side I don't think there's any questions now that's a good pairing no it's, it's, it's a good pairing. it allows now. Mark Mathot to play in the second pairing with whomever they decide sticks in that spot but that gives whoever you put up with with Mathot even more cover because of his defensive strengths and now you're looking at a pretty solid top three. The question is, who's going to be that four? Eventually, it could be Honka, but he needs to be in the third pairing right now and for a while as he gets to that comfort level. You and I were talking with Honka, what, two days ago mm-hmm. after practice? Yeah. And I asked him flat out because it's I knew what the answer was going to be. Are you comfortable in the NHL playing at this level that you were in the AHL? He said, of course I'm not mm-hmm. because he hasn't played nearly an amount of games to get used to the speed the structure, the skill of NHL competition. And I'd like to see, I mean, personally, I'd like to see, and I, I think just based on watching him, and it's, I think he's a really good third-pairing guy right now. Maybe by game 41, 42 of the season, Honka could be that top four yes. guy. Um, now, it just, that just leads, in theory, just in, in a world where hypothetically Honka is 
you buy a game 35-36, you're looking at, you know what, he really needs to be with Mark Mathot. Just mm-hmm. because we want him playing big minutes. The Rick, Rick Wilson has really helped him take the st- next step. I mean, they give Rick Wilson a ton of credit, and deservedly so. Um, say Honka does. Just in, in, in this world where Honka is your, by midpoint of the season, Honka is on your second pair with Mark Mathot. Your third pairing starts to become very interesting because you're still, even with Patrick Nemeth gone, you're at an you're still at a glut of defensemen. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a situation where, in this where, Stephen John's that third guy on the right side. Is Jamie Alexiak the third guy on the right side? It's Greg Patteron. Is Greg Patter Does Greg Patteron even get a chance to play a game? <laughs> does uh, does uh, is Dan Hamhuse still here? Dan Hamhuse is, is a UFA after this season. If you were going to try and if someone needs defensive help and you were going to try and trade a Try and trade a veteran who you, who you look at as now as an excess. He could be a guy that you could consider with that. Mm-hmm. That third, I mean, Honka's progression right now works really well in the third pair, and I guess we could even have the debate right now about who could who should be on the second pair right now because Stephen Johns has had his share of struggles this year. He's had more glaring. I agree. He's had more glaring struggles than anyone else. Um, Jamie Alexiak has been good, has been better than last season. Um, in my opinion, he hasn't been the he hasn't been the world-beating top four consistent defender that I was told he would be by <laughs> Ken Hitchcock. Um, he was trumpeted with his training camp abilities, and I don't know if his early season plays lived up to it. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't, or yeah. at least in my view, it hasn't. Um, so, what happens with how do you figure out? How that works with the defenseman. I mean, what do you? And I know this. You, you, neither you right. or I are this making this back, decision. This so. goes back full circle to our initial question yeah. of the podcast, which uh, obviously, with our abilities to digress, could <laughs> go all the way as far as wherever that drone is right now. It's mm-hmm. no longer hovering over that driveway, which is nice. But is you know why are why are we not panicking at one and three? Well, first of all, it's one and three. It's three games or four games into the season, a long way to go. Secondly, we've seen a lot of potential, but third is, is that they're still very much ironing out who's going to play with whom on the blue line and up front. Mm-hmm. The only real thing that we've decided for sure is Ben Bishop is your goalie. Yes. That seems very clear early on, and we're, we're comfortable with that. Um, I would like to see the team play a little bit more comfortably or confidently with Kari Lettinen in the net. Some of that is on Kari, some of it's on the team. And but it's only been and it's only been a game and 80, a half, eighty minutes right. with Kari in net. So, but that being said, there there is clearly something there. Pittsburgh clearly plays differently with Matt Murray in the net than Antti Niemi so far. That's not all on Niemi, but some of it does fall on him. But the point is, is that. There is a lot to shake out, and it's not just on the blue line. It's on the forward group as well. And the Stars, for having a lot of balance, have one amazing line of Ben Sagan and Radulov. And a line that still needs to – that's a line that's they're still – They're still not there. They, yeah, they're still not right. there. It's, it's, but I, they're I, really good, and they have a really high potential. But what about the other three? Mm-hmm. We see all this balance as far as uh, defensive work, structure, forechecking some speed, but – we haven't seen a lot from Jason Spezza offensively yet. We haven't seen a lot from Brett Ritchie yet offensively. Um, Yanmark has looked all right. Uh, Shore has had some nice moments on the power play, but maybe not enough during the game. I think Pitlick can create stuff. But again, where is that chemistry for secondary scoring? Because well, the only, the only player we haven't seen a lot five-on-five. Five the yet. only secondary scoring you've seen five-on-five five really is from Yanmark, from any, from any player. Um, mm-hmm. As far as secondary secondary scoring, and goes. what a difference having him back in the lineup! Oh, it's huge. 
Uh, it's also it's it's interesting. I mean, you you go through first again that top line. There's a lot to like so far, but and I and I wrote this this morning when we're gushing and talking about zone entries as much as we are their zone entries and how crisp they look when they're entering the zone. That's great. But we haven't had the goals to talk about. We haven't right. had the, the final pieces that are there. There's, there's a lot to like, but there's still that, that looking for that final piece even with their top line. And then there's also the adjustment that's being made for the rest where it really is line one. There's line one. There's two. The Hansel line basically is getting 15, 16 minutes. Right. They're essentially the second line, although people are arguing, shouldn't the Spezza, Richie, uh, and Pitlick line? But, but you couldn't even – but the minutes that the Hansel line is, are getting is – like through two periods last night, Hansel didn't take a single offensive zone. I, face said, I said Pitlick. It's Ellie. Yeah. Ellie is the yeah. on that wing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so, look, the, yeah, yeah. What? Where's the? Where is the production going to come from? I mean, there there have been chances mm-hmm. in the games. There have been quite a few. Um, again, we've been talking on our radio broadcast, and Bruce has been trumpeting the fact that he thinks Brett Ritchie can score twenty five goals this year. Well. Evidence of the first four games, I'm not so sure. Well, now he has a shot that could score 25 goals. Right, Brett, Brett Ritchie is is a self-admitted streaky scorer. He'll Very score so. in bunches and then so. not at all for a bit. Um, I would like to see. I don't know. I don't know if Ellie Spezza Ritchie is the ideal option. Are the Stars missing a top six winger? Do can the young guys, can Yanmark and Shore and Pitlick? provide enough offense so that they don't need to go out and look for that. Is Jason Spezza ideal to be playing as a center? Should he be playing as a winger, allowing either Dickinson to come up or Yanmark or Shore to play in the middle? Will any of that change the dynamic? I, I think those are the these are the questions that the coaching staff are, are probably mulling over right and now. And another concept I was thinking about watching the game last night, um, and I don't know if it I don't know if it it would work. I don't know if it would work if you could put them together because I don't because we haven't really seen them play together. But we talk about right now, Spez is getting 12 minutes a night. Fox is getting 12 minutes a night. Right. I would like to see both of those players get more minutes a night. In theory, and, and I was this was yeah. Just, what if you put Spezza on the wing with Fox? Just and just this is just something where you think mm-hmm. about, and all of a sudden, okay, maybe then you have a more traditional fourth line minutes where you're having a line that's getting maybe nine, ten minutes a night. But then maybe that means you're getting Spezza and Fox. Uh, 14, 15, 16 right. minutes a night. Um, it's, it, it, these are just ideas. that this. And is then you could put Jamel Smith as your fourth-line center if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Or Yanmark or Shore if mm-hmm. you needed. Although I, I like them up with Hansel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, it's an interesting thought of if you have Pitlick and Roussel mm-hmm. and Ellie, who centers that? Now, at one time in his career, Anton Roussel was a center. Mm-hmm. A lot of people forget that. He actually centered the De- Texas Stars' fourth line during the first half-season lockout yep. of the 2012-13 season. But he's played wing in the NHL for a while, and I feel like that's probably his better position. I agree with that, too. But, it's, it's but I mean, there are there are options. So the question is, is that, and again, we all full circle again. You're one and three. If you beat Colorado on Saturday, tomorrow, two and three. you're two and three. You feel a little bit better about yourself. You've won two of your three home games. You could have been three and three if it weren't for an injury to your goalie. You beat Arizona on Tuesday. You've won three in a row at home. You've got Arizona again on Thursday. Possibilities. Point is, is that there. it's not as though the Stars threw their best group and their most ideal pairs and couldn't get it done. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, I mean, look at the difference against Nashville. They, they, they had a great start, dominated Nashville in the first period. If it wasn't for the five-minute major, they might have scored two or three, and maybe yeah. even in spite of that could have. Nashville had a good push in the second period. The Stars didn't respond. Ken Hitchcock said he didn't like, he didn't have enough pushback after that. Excuse me, after that. They had some spells in the third period where they could have tied the game. So they were right there against a team that has figured out this is what we do. This is the combination, and this is how we win. They made it to the Stanley Cup final. They get some of their guys that were injured back. Mm-hmm. I mean, and look at Samuel Girard, a 19-year-old defenseman who had a, a game, his second game in his NHL career, and he scores a goal oh, and has actually, an assist. It's funny. We talk about log looks gym, great. Talk about log jams. You think about it, once Nashville's guys are all healthy, Samuel Girard's going to be playing for Milwaukee. And right. Be, or will he? Or will he? Or will somebody <laughs> else like Yannick Weber, if he's healthy, or Matt Irwin have tough, tough time? I mean, uh, Bruce on our postgame show was talking about that. Of you know, look at the way that Nashville's churned out NHL defensemen. Mm-hmm. They traded away Seth Jones, mm-hmm. and they still have a. They traded away Shea Weber. Now they got PK Subban in, in exchange, but they have Yossi and Ellis on, on the IR right now. They'll probably be back sooner than later. Uh, at least Yossi will be. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Gerard coming through. Look at all these guys, and they've done a really nice job of having a solid run of defensemen in in a cap world you have to have a steady stream you can't just sit on a few guys and hope that they carry you for 10 years well it's and it's the same thing where you have the stars actually have as you figure things out and this is getting way ahead of where i want to go so i'm going to cut myself off (laughs) but i mean stars actually have that steady stream at forward right now just of young guys down there that whether when you have to make decisions on guys, Antoine Roussel is an unrestricted free agent after the season. Who knows what's going to happen with that? But you have but Remy yeah. Ellie, Jamel Smith, Smith. Rope Hintz, yeah. Jason Dickinson, all that can challenge with speed and skill. It's going to, you know, you look at that and say, wow, Roussel better have a great year. So maybe he needs to get some of that scoring. And we're not just trying to pick on Antoine for the missing the shot last night yeah. against Nashville. Or, 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 but, on the, or, or on the flip side, the Stars look at it and say, well, you know what? It's. He makes two million a dollar, two million a year right now. Some other team could look at him and say, you know what, we'll give him four million. Mm-hmm. And the stars in the in the cap world can say, you know what, we like Antoine Roussel, but we don't like him at four million. I like Remy Elliott less than a million dollars. Same reason why they didn't re-sign Alex Goligoski, mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent Jason Demers was because mm-hmm. it wasn't that they didn't think that they were worth it to pay that for a year or two. It wasn't they didn't want to give him four or five year deals at that rate, mm-hmm. the four or five million dollars a year. Yes for guys that were going to be in their mid-30s when that contract gets toward the end. I think it's time for the lightning round. All right, lightning round, because we could go on for hours, as evidenced by our musings at this point. Let's see. Let's pull up the uh, questions on Twitter here. Okay. Well, P1 Rick asks, should we slide the captain, Jamie Benn, between the pipes? Well, clearly that's a serious question. Very serious. Thank you, Rick, for taking the Sean Shapiro podcast at the high esteem that it deserves. No, I, um, no, he's not a goalie. I mean, and, and frankly, goalie's not the problem for the Stars right now. And that's not something that we could say for the last couple of years, right? Isn't that one of the great things about? And look, it's only been four games. Bishop's only been in three of them, or three and two, or two and two thirds, or so. Maybe a little more than two thirds, but. That doesn't seem like right now. If he looks good, he looks healthy. 
I, I don't think goalie's a problem. You answered that question way too seriously. I was going to... Oh, uh, you're going to go tongue-in-cheek, huh? I was, I was going to say, well, I mean, he would be the first goalie without... I mean, based on Jamie's face... On Jamie's equipment choices, he would probably only play if they let him play without a mask. That's true. All right, so I'll be the abbot to your Costello. I'm good at. I'll play the straight man. You can be the funny one. It's. it's I think Jamie's one of 34 players now without who doesn't wear a shield. And Mark Mathot's still yeah, in that category two, too. Two on Dallas, yep. and so he. Uh, it's going to. It'll. It'll disappear over time because he may be the last player without a shield. You think he'll be the longest the the player to play the longest without it? He left? might. He might. Because it's grandfathered in it's now, grandfathered. so no new players can wear a visor. I don't know how many. I don't know who the youngest player in the league is, um, but they can't be that young because of when the rule went into place. And mm-hmm. you think about guys who are going to have career longevity, and who I mean, Jamie's got an eight-year contract. He already. could play for a very long yeah. time. He's he still could. in his prime. He's in yeah. his late twenties. He in theory yeah. could be. He in theory could be the last player without a visor. I mean, he could be playing a decade from now, being one of the few guys, maybe the only guy left. That's possible. Yeah. See, Rick, you brought up an interesting point w- with a a question that probably wasn't so serious. Yes. Um, from James Tan, Tyler Sagan's been my favorite player so far. With him trying to, with him attaining that goal as soon as possible, I guess that means attaining the goal as Rick's as James' favorite player. What do you think of his performance? I'm not sure exactly about the the question of attaining the goal. I mean, trying to score. I I, I basically here's the I, point. I think the question is, what do you think of Tyler Sagan? I think Tyler Sagan has been great and actually uh, better than expected at this point of his time with Ken Hitchcock. Um, I knew from the introductory press conference of Hitch in April that Tyler was excited because. Hitch told him what he wanted to hear. I want you to be our top center, which is what Tyler wants to do. Mm-hmm. I want you to play in all situations. Will there be speed bumps along the way? There might be, but I'll tell you what. Sagan has... I thought there was a time last year where he lost a little bit of zip on his one-timer. Mm-hmm. That goal on Tuesday night against Detroit... There was a lot of zip. It was a lot of zip. I mean, that was maybe the best one we've ever seen, and he's had quite a few. That was a world-class one-timer that no goalie saves. It just was perfect, and it was unbelievably good considering that puck wasn't even flat on the passover. And he he has such accuracy on bobbly passes. Uh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he can't hit it. If maybe he's like uh, Robert Redford, the Sundance Kid. He can't hit a target if he's standing still. But if the puck wobbles, he's better when he moves. But seriously, like he looks great. He crushes that shot. He's playing with the speed that he didn't have last year. We already saw him have a little bit of a breakaway speed, which was not there last year. No, he and, was not at full speed last year. And his defense is better. Mm-hmm. I liked what they did at the end of the Detroit game. They were out there for a long shift, but a good shift. Sagan won some faceoffs. He, Ben, and Radulov were smart with the puck. Uh, I, I'm very excited about what Tyler Sagan can do this season. From uh, Nova, are we touched on this a little bit, so we won't go super long on the answer to this one. What do you think the Stars are having trouble finishing scoring chances? Um, I'll, it's a couple of things. I mean, there's it's some of it's self-inflicted. There's a couple things where they need to hit an empty net. There's Alexander Radulov had one the other day where he missed basically missed an empty net. That was on Tuesday against yeah. Detroit. They've also had the three games, the three games they've lost, you could argue the other team's goalie has been the best player on the ice for at least long stretches. They have created great scoring chances, but they haven't created enough traffic mm-hmm. in front. John Klingberg's goal against Peter Mrazek hits the post, hits Mrazek and goes in, but it feathered through, what, four or five bodies to get there from the point? 
that's the goal you're going to score in the NHL. You're not going to have a lot of open net, tic-tac-toe type plays. Maybe on a four-on-three power play like we saw Detroit do. That was a nice setup by Zetterberg, who's a world-class player. But what do you have to do? Dirty goals go to the net. The more Like Yanmark's goal was not pretty from a goaltending perspective. If you're a Detroit fan, you roll your eyes at Mrazek for letting that go in. Yes. But from a Stars perspective, he picked the puck out of two different players' feet and whipped it around toward the net and went in. You want to see that more. So what do you do? You got a lot of energy, guys. Crash the net. Crash the net. Throw it's, the puck at the net and go get it. I mean, it, it's something I look at with like uh, Remy Ellie's game. I've really liked Remy Ellie's done when he's come once he's come up. And, he was good against Nashville and, and last was, night. Yeah, I've really liked. What he's, the one thing. But I he think, needs to go to the net. Yes, score that's, goals. that's that's yeah. where I'm going. The one thing that's missing from his game is he has that straight line, hard line speed that that you know is coming. Go to the net a little bit more. Just go. And Antoine Roussel, when he's at his best, also does what Remy Ellie does, but with some offensive flair. Yeah. And that's what you need. And you need it from Roussel, too. Mm-hmm. Matt Pryor <laughs> asks a very important question. Our colleague. Our colleague, who, Matt, who does a wonderful job for working for the hockey writers. Um, practice times have migrated from a 10.30 a.m. to noon to 1 today. At what time will evening wear be appropriate? Well, it's not evening, so I would say after 6 p.m., Right? I mean... I would agree. If it's not evening, I, I don't think evening wear is appropriate during the day. Maybe, unless you're, you're now churned, changing to business casual, but evening wear suggests uh, tuxedos and ball gowns. I don't know if you have any new gowns, but I, my tuxedo is, would be, have to be a rental. So um, I'm going to say not until after 6 o'clock. And it is Friday, so it is weekend. So you could conceivably have... Hey, it's Friday the 13th. It is Friday the 13th. Maybe that's why the drone came by and hovered around us uncomfortably. Such an invasion of our personal privacy. This is the opening of a horror movie. What's a new age horror movie with a drone. Oh, and Sean looked up and ignored the drone, drone, but it was really a a harbinger of things to come. (laughs) (laughs) You can be silly. Last one, and then we'll... uh, From Justin Schmidt. Um, Is it time to trade Jason Spezza? Hmm. I I will the first the first point that I will make is it's be extremely hard to trade Jason Spezza. No matter whether you think it's the time to trade him or not, because of his age and contract. His age and contract. He still has seven point five million dollars for not only uh, and he's still under contract for next season, um, and so it's a very big cap hit. And there's not many teams that have the cap space. So trading Jason Spezza would be part of a deal that would have to involve taking a huge cap hit from someone else, likely. Which the Stars would have to... I mean, again, Spezza's hit coming off would offer something, but they don't have any room for movement unless they were retaining something in that. Mm-hmm. And again, um, aside from the logistics of making a trade like that, let's go back maybe to the question of should they make a trade like mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't think Jason Spezza's been bad. I would like to see him put some pucks in the net because they need him to be a scorer in a team that's got lots of speed and energy right now and and some grinders. They need him to be a goal scorer. He can do that, um, but we haven't seen a lot of that just yet. But I don't think he's been bad. But again, uh, Ken Hitchcock said the other day, in this league with the pace of play that's now being exhibited, you either have to have quick feet or a quick stick. And, and, and I think Spetsov is more in the quick stick category. And right if not now. either of those, you have to have some other to, some other, something else you bring to the game, um, 
there's some guys you talked about being incredibly smart or things along yep. those lines. Uh, he's, that, he's very smart. Yes. Uh, so I don't... He's got two years left, this year and next year, at seven and a half, as you said, Sean. It's a lot. It's the second highest hit behind Jamie Benn's nine and a half mm-hmm. million. So he's 34. Uh, I think he still has something left. And also, by the way, he has a modified no-trade clause and yes. no-move clause. So you, you can't just say, thanks, Jason Spezza, for your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to find a way to get the best out of him. Yeah. Because I don't know how easy that would be to move if they decided that something else was better. And I think that, and I'm going to go back to the point I made prior about potentially playing around with maybe putting him and Fox on a line. Just something, in theory, where maybe that gets him more minutes. Because right now... I was really excited about seeing him with Yanmark because they played well together two seasons ago, the 15-16 season, when Yanmark had his breakout rookie year and mm-hmm. was healthy. And I thought that having him not be there, Yanmark, last year really hurt Spezza. So this year I said, okay, good, he'll be there. And they uh, played well together in the first two games. Right, again, maybe you just have to try to figure out what's going to work. It is, who's, who's your second line center? Is it Martin Hansel? Mm-hmm. Is, is Spezza okay as your three? Are you happy with him as your third line center? Or if not, then he needs to go play wing, maybe with Hansel, maybe not, but you have to decide. And he was telling us the other day, Spezza, that as long as you have a clearly defined role or task for a given game, that's what players are happy with, especially him. Okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to match up against this line, and you either have an advantage, so you need to score and take advantage of that, or you're maybe at a disadvantage of this line, so you really need to be a shutdown line. What are you expecting from me tonight? Let me know, and I'll be happy with that. So maybe is is the question, Jason Spezza can be part of a, a shutdown line, but then who's is he? are you really asking for him to be a scorer? Then you have to decide what kind of role is he playing on your team. It, and, and, that's, and that's, this goes back to the early part where they're one and three. There's still things to get hammered out with this team. It's you need to figure them out. You can't be, they can't be one and we can't be sitting here five days from a week from now and see them at one and seven. That you can't do that. But there's still time to figure things out. Um, are they behind the eight ball slightly, a little bit? But there's still 78 games remaining and still time to figure things out. And where Spe- where Spezza ends up playing tomorrow versus Colorado versus where he plays in game 60 could be completely different um, as far as his role in the lineup. <coughs> Excuse me. It'll be uh, – I interrupted myself. <laughs> Not many people can do that, yeah. so that's impressive. Yeah, it'll be uh, – it'll be interesting. Actually, we got one last-minute question that just popped in. I guess we'll take that one. Um, and this is – once again, this all comes in after only four games, so take this with a grain of salt. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to the exclamation point for Mark Sepneski. That's fair. That's okay. fair. Um, who is from Jeff? Last one. Uh, who is the biggest surprise in the Central so far? And in the, and I'm and Jeff believes it's St. Louis, and he says, and why is it St. Louis? He's wrong. I think. I think it's got to be the Colorado it's, it's Avalanche. The Avalanche. They it's were the, the worst team in hockey yeah. by a country mile last year. They were awful, mm-hmm. and they are th- what three and one? Three and one. They Already, play the, they play the Ducks. Uh, no, they're four and one. I'm sorry. Okay. They're uh, no three and three and one. The, Tomorrow, I'm getting my days confused. Okay. They played the Ducks tonight. They play the right. back-to-back. And you want to talk about uh, advantage stars. They get yes. to play Colorado on the second night of a back-to-back. 
So for the Stars' disadvantage to go to St. Louis last Saturday, mm -hmm. they need to take advantage of what will be a beleaguered and tired Avalanche team, but with some confidence because they've been winning. Mm -hmm. But they need to – you have to go into that game and not only get a result, but you've got to put your foot down and, and say, this is going – you're going to have to play all of your energy. You don't have enough. You can't beat us because we're going to we're going to just and, grind it out of you. In Colorado, not only are they the big surprise based on the win loss. I mean, this is a team who their best one of their best players showed up to training camp and said, "I'm only here to fulfill my contract." And then actually has been playing well. Has been playing well. Yeah. So it's the biggest surprise is definitely uh, Colorado. Um, St. Louis has done a nice job to get over to, to get over some of those preseason injuries and start off four and one. But uh, biggest surprise is definitely Colorado. Um, now exclamation points! Okay. And uh, we will uh, take a quick moment and uh, dedicate this podcast to Mark Stepneski's use of the exclamation point. And, uh, no, 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 singular. Singular. He used one. He used one. And he would specifically like people to know that he only used one, not multiple. He only used one. Um, I never thought I'd, thought I'd see the day. He's fought off so many attempts from people to try to coax it out of him, to uh, trick him into using it, to downright threaten and blackmail, and he's fought it all off, yet he felt so strongly about this that it, it, he finally broke his fast. Mark clearly has a, a <laughs> deep... Uh, Mark is a... I, I don't think... I think the people at Whataburger should, uh, should, should look into this, and they should set Mark up with something like Food for Life or something like that, because I don't think they realize how big of a uh, moment this was. Yeah. Because... It's a big moment. I mean... And with that being said, maybe I should go. Maybe I should give Whataburger another try and and and, and have another burger there. If if Mark is, uh, you really want to go there? I wasn't going to bring the contents of the debate in. Well, to be fair, I was not a. Tread lightly, my friend. There are a lot of fans <laughs> in listening in. I was not a detractor. I just wasn't a amongst the uh, converts. But I'd be. I guess I'd be willing to. Uh, I'd be willing to give it another chance after Mark's use of the exclamation point. I guess that's the I least think I could do. I think you owe him that. Yes. If nothing so. else, you owe him to give it another college try. So, I will do that, I guess. Um, there you go. Chorizo burgers on everyone. Or for everyone, I should say. Well, Owen did a great job. Thank, Thank you. you. It's like you uh, talk on the radio quite often. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where that comes from. <laughs> Everyone, uh, thank you for listening, and the uh, podcast will return again next week. 